Greetings folks, and welcome to Murder on the Tracks, Part 3, The Sheriffs. If you've seen Part 1, Murder on the Tracks, the story of Kevin Ives and Don Henry, and the Murder on the Tracks update 2018, and Part 2, Murder on the Tracks, the story of Kevin Ives and Don Henry continues, then you'll have learned how local prosecutor Dan Harmon has been named by three people as being on the tracks with Kevin and Don on the night they were killed. Dan Harmon. Uh, Dan Harmon. And Dan Harmon. And let's not forget Dan Harmon's partner, Richard Garrett, who we learned that after he appeared on Unsolved Mysteries asking for help, a bunch of witnesses started getting murdered. We also learned that Charlene Wilson, one of the people that implicated Dan Harmon as being on the tracks, has also implicated herself as being there as well. And in one of those occasions, she wrote a four-page confession letter that matches many of the details of what happened that night. And she wrote that confession letter in the presence of three troopers, one local and two state, and signed it on May 28, 1993. And we also learned that officers Kirk Lane and Jay Campbell have been named by as many as four different people as possibly being the hands-on killers of Kevin and Don with Keith Coney telling his mother that he saw it was two men that killed Kevin and Don and told his father it was the cops, and Ronnie Godwin, who was driving by and told the Arkansas State Police that he saw two cops beating two teenagers and throw them in the back of their car, as well as Mike Crook's accounting to the Arkansas State Police, where he described the same thing as Ronnie Godwin and named Kirk Lane, followed by the most recent revelations by former WWF superstar Billy Jack Haynes, who outright named Kirk Lane and Jay Campbell as the killers. In fact, like Charlene Wilson, Billy Jack Haynes has implicated himself as being at the tracks that night as well. And he's gone public not only naming Kirk Lane and Jay Campbell, but he's spelled out everything he knows about that night as well. And you can find the full version on YouTube, where he did an interview with Doc Washburn of KARN-FM in Little Rock. And we'll hear a bit more from Doc Washburn as we go as well, where he's interviewed Linda Ives, Kevin's mother. And another of the recent developments we learned about was Linda Ives' Freedom of Information lawsuit against the government and its various alphabet agencies. And as I've said in the past, this lawsuit isn't about holding the government accountable for who killed Kevin and Don. It's about getting the thousands upon thousands of documents that the various government alphabet agencies have on Kevin and Don in their full, unredacted form. And notice as well, out of all these people who have been murdered or died, the ones who are alive are the ones who have been implicated or implicated themselves in the killings. Anyways, the latest update on Linda's lawsuit has the government asking the courts to dismiss the case on the grounds that it's an ongoing investigation. Ongoing for 30 years. So who's doing the so-called investigating? I decided to have a look at the Saline County Sheriff's Office and see how involved they've been. And they have a page on their website for the history of the sheriff. And we can see that the current sheriff is Sheriff Rodney Wright, who was elected to office in January 2015 and still resides there. And scrolling down is a list of all the past sheriffs, all the way back to James Steed, who was the sheriff when Kevin and Don were killed. So let's have a look at all the past saline sheriffs since Kevin and Don's murders, and we'll start with James Steed. So as noted, Steed was the saline sheriff when Kevin and Don were murdered, and he also sided with the state medical examiner who did the autopsy the following day after the murders. And that medical examiner was the corrupt Femi Malik, who ruled that Kevin and Don smoked too much pot and fell asleep on the tracks and couldn't hear the train coming, which of course is ridiculous. But let's hear from Kevin's mom, Linda Ives, from her appearance in the documentary about the murders, Obstruction of Justice. 
I believe Kevin and Don were near the tracks that night and saw either money or drugs dropped from an airplane. Uh, I believe that law enforcement officers killed them and uh, the cover-up began immediately. Um, expanded to the medical examiner, Fami Malik. At the time, Fami Malik, Arkansas State Medical Examiner, was the one responsible for ruling on cause of death. His plan was to rule the boy's death a double suicide. However, after conferring with Jim Steed, Saline County Sheriff, they decided no one would accept such a ruling and changed the cause of death to accidental. We were absolutely puzzled and outraged over the ruling uh, of accidental as a manner of death. Uh, we didn't think that the facts supported that ruling. Uh, and what we started out to do was just to obtain a second opinion. Yeah, I'd want a second opinion too. But like I said, it's ridiculous. To hear Fami Malik put it, the two boys were, quote, unconscious and in a deep sleep and on the railroad tracks under the psychedelic effects of marijuana, end quote. The murders and the ridiculous ruling by Dr. Malik was beginning to gain national attention across the country, even hitting the Los Angeles Times on August 14, 1988, almost a year to the day after the murders. 17-year-old Kevin Ives and 16-year-old Don Henry were struck by a train near Alexander. The medical examiner has said that the boys were asleep and drugged with marijuana. The parents, however, disputed that claim and persuaded authorities to reopen the case. And thanks to the relentless determination of Linda Ives, Kevin's mother, the case was reopened and a grand jury was convened, and the murders were rightfully ruled as homicides. And Malik was called into the grand jury, though ultimately he wouldn't suffer any punishment, but we would find out a lot about his corrupt ways. And let's hear again from Linda Ives. Our local investigation was headed by our sheriff, Jim Steed. He later went on television bragging about what a thorough investigation he had conducted and that uh, he felt very sorry for us as parents, but that he had every confidence in Femi Malik's ruling. So Steed was on board with whatever Malik said. After they both decided that they wouldn't try to pass off Kevin and Don's murders as suicides, and reportedly, according to Linda Ives, Sheriff Steed went on TV to brag about how thorough of an investigation they did. And where do you hear this? Their investigation was so thorough that they left my son's foot out there for two days in plain sight. And what's more, we learned from Mayor Leverett's The Boys on the Tracks, a relative of the Henry family who was walking along the tracks had discovered the severed foot and notified the Saline County Sheriff I mean, that's unreal. That's the stuff of Hollywood. Anyways, let's have a look at some of the other ways that this investigation was thorough, as stated by Jim Steed. Against all standard police procedures, the back of the train was used as a reference point to record the location of the boys' bodies and possessions. Once the train left, the reference point was lost forever, and the information gathered became totally useless. A number of pieces of evidence collected at the scene eventually turned up missing. Police refused to acknowledge the existence of this gun even though its collection by police was captured on video. Likewise, all three members of the train crew observed a tarp covering the boys' bodies on the tracks prior to the impact. The conductor even showed investigators where the tarp had landed after the impact. Nevertheless, the police denied the tarp's existence. Paramedics. The paramedics. Yeah, I believe you that, the, the paramedics picked up a tarp. 
from the boys. I believe that's, that they had it coming down the railroad anyway. They had they had body bags. Right. Going, walking down through here, picking up different, you know. But separate from the body bag was was a tarp. Right. Right. Remember what color it was? I can't remember. Everything was kind of in a chaos. And, you know, I really didn't pay that 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 thing much attention. Sure. I knew it was uh, some kind of a tarp. You yes, know, sir. it wasn't a bad body bag. Because they had it, you know, more or less folded. And close as I can remember, they laid it down right there. In Linda's quest for a second opinion, which they had gotten in March of 1988, where Dr. James Garrett of San Antonio, Texas, concluded that it was highly unlikely for any amount of THC exposure to have the effects that Malik had alleged. And yet Saline County Sheriff James Steed repeatedly told the Benton Courier that there was nothing at the tracks that night to suggest that it was nothing more than a strange accident. A couple of other articles I found of interest are ones you have to subscribe to. But nevertheless, we can see where it says Jim Steed said his agency never closed its case files on the boys' deaths. And the next one states Jim Steed says a section of material found near a railroad crossing where the two teenagers died on August 23rd is not, and I'm going to guess that it continued on to say is not considered to be the tarp in question. Further, Steed says, we haven't found anything that resembles a tarp or found anything that could be a tarp. And of course, because that's how the cover-up has gone. Ultimately though, we'll never get the answers out of Jim Steed anymore, as he died in 1996. And something of interest to note from this site, it states that he was the youngest sheriff elected in Saline County, and he was also a 32nd degree Mason. Food for thought anyways. But overall, we've seen that James Steed was the Saline Sheriff during the initial investigation that treated the scene as an accident, not a crime scene. They left Kevin's foot behind on the tracks to be found by a family member of the Henry family the next day. He denied the existence of a tarp covering the boys, despite numerous witnesses saying otherwise. He also sided with the corrupt family Malik, who tried to cover up the murders, and he called the murders a strange accident. So obviously, we're not off to a very promising start. So let's meet Jim Steed's successor as Saline Sheriff, Larry Davis, who took over in 1991. And we can see from that thorough investigation of the boys' murders that Chuck Talent was conducting the investigation, assisting at the scene where Lieutenant Ray Richmond, Deputies Kathy Carty and Pat Hawkins, and Reserve Officer Larry Davis. So the new Sheriff of Saline County, Larry Davis, was part of that original, thorough investigation. An investigation that left Kevin's foot on the tracks. Let's hear from Larry Davis about that investigation. Despite the policy of investigating any suspicious death as a homicide until proven otherwise, the Saline County deputy who took control of the scene where Kevin and Don were murdered immediately ordered it worked as an accident. Procedures were never taken to protect the scene and properly collect evidence. We were told to work as an accident, or the investigators were told to work as an accident, and it was uh, not enough time and emphasis put into it right there at the scene. So he admits right there that the investigation was told to be treated as an accident not a crime scene. And then we see this from June 22, 1992, that on May 16th, prosecuting attorney Dan Harmon and Sheriff Larry Davis testified on behalf of Kevin DePriest. 
DePriest was indicted in what was described by authorities as a multi-million dollar drug operation, stretching from California to Benton. What happened was that Davis and Harmon were subpoenaed to testify by DePriest's attorney, David Smith. Smith represented Harmon previously when he was charged for not filing taxes. In the DePriest case, Davis and Harmon both testified on behalf of DePriest and testified that although they didn't personally know DePriest, they didn't believe him to be a drug dealer. Davis and Harmon also testified that DePriest's lifestyle and his work as a self-employed plumber were inconsistent with a person selling drugs. But the court saw things differently and DePriest was convicted. And we can see from his appeal in 1993 that lawyer David Smith argued for Kevin DePriest while David Lamont argued for Steve Morrell. And we'll cut to the chase and go right down to the conclusions. And the conclusions state that for the foregoing reasons, we vacate Mr. Morrell's sentence and remand for resentencing. In all other aspects, we affirm the judgment of the district court. What this means is that the courts accepted Steve Morrell's appeal and reversed his sentence. But as for Kevin DePriest, the court accepted the judgment of the lower court and upheld the sentence. And this is the guy that Larry Davis and Dan Harmon both went and testified for, trying to help. So we can see that Larry Davis was involved in the original investigation of Kevin and Don, and was part of the team that treated that investigation as an accident rather than a crime scene, despite all the obvious evidence suggesting otherwise. And we also see that he later teamed up with Dan Harmon in an attempt to get a big-time drug dealer off of charges. So, so far, things aren't looking too good, with James Steed siding with Fami Malik's decisions and Larry Davis hooking up with Dan Harmon, you begin to start wondering how much actual investigation was being done. So let's meet Sheriff Judy Pridgen, who succeeded Larry Davis in 1992 and would hold the post until 2001. And I couldn't find too much on her in relation to Kevin and Don's murders, but what I did find is rather interesting. There are FBI files that show Sheriff Pridgen asking for the help of the FBI and in turn, the Little Rock FBI will continue to coordinate the investigation with Sheriff Pridgen. And you'll find other documents like that as well, which show Sheriff Pridgen taking an interest in trying to solve the case, apparently. And let's have a listen to what Saline Detective John Brown has to say, who started an investigation in 1993. My uh, immediate supervisor, who was a lieutenant over the Saline County Criminal Investigation Division, took me for a ride that lasted approximately one hour. Um, during this ride to literally nowhere, uh, it appeared the whole purpose was to tell me to leave the case alone. He said things like, there's not anything to this. Um, this could have been an accident. It's going to bring you a lot of grief if you continue on and, and do this. And, and in the end, he finally said, you know, John, you really need to leave this alone. It become obvious that uh, once I started going through the case file, it had been robbed of most of the pertinent evidence. Uh, no crime scene photographs, a list of evidence was not present, the things you would expect to find. I run across a young lady named Charlene Wilson, who told a horror story that I didn't really believe at the time. So I started searching for evidence to substantiate just part of what she had said. Herman went ballistic called, he threatened me, threatened Sheriff Pridgen, threatened Captain Gene Donham, the chief deputy. All because I talked to this one woman. So John Brown, like Gene Duffy before him, was threatened by Dan Harmon once he started talking to Charlene Wilson. And we also saw that Dan Harmon threatened Sheriff Judy Pridgen as well. And something to note as well, before we declare John Brown a hero, 
is that he would later go on to betray Linda Ives and testify on behalf of Jay Campbell and Kirk Lane in their lawsuit against Pat Matriciana, who made the documentary movie Obstruction of Justice. And ultimately, in the end, Campbell and Lane lost their suit on appeal, and John Brown would be proven wrong as well. Here's an article I found from August 1st, 2010, which would be nine years after Sheriff Pridgen left the force, and it pretty much goes on to say that she's continued to work with law enforcement over the years following her departure from the Sailing Sheriff's Office. But it's something she stated down below, at the bottom, that caught my eye, and she states, We are blessed to have the quality of people that we get in those jobs. Chief Kirk Lane and Christopher Campbell are very professional. So she's given high praise to Kirk Lane, someone who's been outright named by two witnesses as one of the killers of Kevin and Don, and as many as possibly four witnesses. So looking back, it appeared that Judy Pridgen did want to solve the murders of Kevin and Don, and she was working with the Little Rock FBI in early 1994 on the case. And we see that she was threatened by Dan Harmon. And then we see that Detective John Brown would later turn on Linda Ives, testifying on behalf of Jay Campbell and Kirk Lane, and would be proven wrong. And then we see that ultimately, Pridgen would later give high praise to Kirk Lane. Are you starting to see a bit of a pattern here? So let's have a look at who would follow Judy Pridgen as Sheriff. And that would be Sheriff Phil Mask from 2001 to 2009. And I couldn't find anything relating Phil Mask to an investigation involving the murders of Kevin and Don. And that might be because instead of investigating, he was too busy being caught up in his own criminal activity. As we can see from the Arkansas Times on November 2, 2006, Saline County Sheriff Phil Mask was accused by Saline County Prosecuting Attorney Robert Herzfeld of creating an illegal bank account and selling contraband firearms. And then three weeks later, on November 21, 2006, we see from KATV news reporter Kristen Fisher that Saline County Sheriff Phil Mask admits to illegal sales of confiscated weapons. But no criminal charges will be filed because the statute of limitations has expired. Naturally. And this was late 2006. Phil Mask would go on to serve another two full years as Saline County Sheriff, not solving the murders of Kevin and Don. So overall, I see where Sheriff Phil Mask was accused of illegal weapon sales, and he admitted to those accusations, and faced no criminal charges because the statute of limitations ran out. And obviously he didn't contribute anything positive to Kevin and Don's case. And you have to ask, is this because he was too caught up in his own corruption? It's a valid question, and it's a question we can ask of the next sheriff, Bruce Pennington, who was Saline Sheriff from 2009 to 2013. And if we go way back and look at this Arkansas State Police report from 1988, less than a year after the boys' murders, we can see that a then-sergeant, Bruce Pennington, of the Arkansas State Police was involved in the case. The report was made by Don Birdsong of the Arkansas State Police, another questionable character, and he states, I had made earlier requests of Sergeant Pennington to contact Trooper Lanehart to see if a written report had been made concerning the train accident where Kevin Ives and Don Henry were killed. I requested from Sergeant Pennington that if a written report of any kind was made, the copies be forwarded to this investigator to be made part of the file. On June 8, 1988, when I made contact with Sergeant Pennington, I was advised that Trooper Lanehart had not made any incident report or any other written report concerning this case. So go figure, Pennington was involved in the so-called investigation at its earliest stages as well. Now if we fast forward 25 years after the murders, we see that according to then Saline County Sheriff Bruce Pennington, the case remains open and investigation into the deaths is continuing 
Yeah, I bet. That sentence should read, the case remains open and the cover-up into the deaths is continuing. Anyways, it continues, Lieutenant Michael Frost is supervisor of the Criminal Investigation Division of the Sheriff's Office and is the only investigator assigned to the case. So let's hear from Mike Frost and what he has to say about the murders of Kevin and Don. Lieutenant Mike Frost, head of Saline County's Criminal Investigation Division, now leads the investigation. There are not a whole lot of leads, uh, new leads that come in. I do not have a detective assigned to the case. I am the one who goes through the case. I've been through the case files and try to follow up on things that I can find in the case file from that time frame. So he says he's gone through the case files, there's not many leads, he's trying to follow up on leads, etc. And he's the only one doing so. But I do wonder how much actual investigation was being done. He also says this. We have several people that said they were in the woods. We have no one that has said that they were at the scene. And we know that's a lie. This was in 2012. Tommy Newhouse had given testimony that he was at the scene and named Dan Harmon as being there as well. And Newhouse wouldn't pass away until 2013, so he was still very much alive at the time of this interview with Mike Frost. And let's not forget one of the accounts of Charlene Wilson, who was still very much alive, and wrote a four-page confession letter back in 1993, which was in the case files that Frost says he allegedly went through. So did he somehow miss that? Did he not know about Tommy Newhouse and his sworn testimony to the FBI? even passing a polygraph? Or was Detective Mike Frost busy doing other things? Such as pleading innocent against drug charges in 2014. Shown here leaving the courthouse, the former lieutenant over the Criminal Investigation Division of the Saline County Sheriff's Office pleaded innocent Monday to charges of delivery of a controlled substance and illegal use of a communication facility. The drugs in questions were oxys. Here's a look at some of his charges. So like I ask, how much real investigation was this guy actually doing? Meanwhile, going back to his boss, Sheriff Bruce Pennington, we see that a year before Frost would be arrested, Pennington was set to retire. Not because he wanted to retire, mind you, but because the sheriff pleaded guilty to two misdemeanors after being arrested on alcohol-related charges. Pennington was busted after a report of an intoxicated person getting into the driver's seat of a car and Pennington reportedly took a swing at the arresting officer. And this was just the beginning of his problems. We would see a couple years later in 2015 that Pennington would plead guilty to more serious charges of wire fraud. Former Saline County Sheriff Bruce Pennington pleaded guilty today to a federal wire fraud charge, paying personal bills with campaign money. At the time, Pennington issued a statement that included, as many of you already know, I have had some problems with alcohol. My attempt to continue to serve the people of Saline County as sheriff while dealing with these problems caused a large amount of scrutiny to be placed upon myself and my office. This led to the discovery that I had paid personal bills with campaign funds, which is a violation of federal law. Sounds to me like he's blaming alcohol for his problems, and his attempt to deal with those problems is the only reason that he got caught. I mean, I read his statement to say, and just to add, when I was younger, I had a stepfather who was an abusive alcoholic, so I have a bit of insight and understanding into how they think. But I read that statement as saying, I have a problem with alcoholism, and that's the reason I got caught. If I dealt better with my alcoholism, they wouldn't have discovered anything, and I wouldn't have these problems right now. Anyways, moving along, we see the U.S. Attorney's statement on the case, which reads, On or about December 14, 2007, Pennington opened the quote, Bruce Pennington Sheriff campaign account, end quote, bank account. 
and Pennington had the sole signatory authority over it. Further, Pennington converted contributions for his 2012 and 2014 campaigns to his personal use and profit, and concealed his conversion of campaign funds from the public, the county clerk, and law enforcement authorities. The maximum potential penalty is up to 20 years imprisonment, up to three years supervised release, and a fine of up to $250,000. So what did Bruce Pennington get? Well, we can see in December 2015, Bruce Pennington was sentenced, and it says the former Saline County Sheriff was sentenced to one year plus one day of incarceration following his conviction for wire fraud. So out of a possible 20-year sentence and $250,000 fine, he only gets one year in jail instead. And if we look three months later, in March of 2016, he pleads guilty again in a plea bargain deal. Bruce Pennington, already sentenced to a year, entered a plea bargain to state charges of abuse of public trust and theft while sailing sheriff. He received concurrent eight-month sentences from Circuit Judge Gary Arnold, another member of the quote-unquote good old boys club. And we looked where he fits into this story in Murder on the Tracks Part 1, for anybody wondering. And something else to note, from THV11, a CBS affiliate in Little Rock, they released a story about Bruce Pennington as well on the same day as the article we just looked at from the Arkansas Times. And they go on to tell us about the ultimate fate of Mike Frost, saying, Mike Frost, another man connected to the case, meaning connected to Pennington's case, pleaded no contest. And I find it odd that CBS affiliate THV refer to Frost as another man connected to the case as opposed to properly identifying him as a former lieutenant in the Criminal Investigation Division under Sheriff Bruce Pennington. At any rate, we ultimately learn that he was sentenced to a year in jail. So overall, we've learned that Bruce Pennington was involved in Kevin and Don's case way back in June of 1988, and that he would later be found guilty of wire fraud, and instead of getting up to 20 years in jail, he was only given one year, and he was also found guilty of abuse of the public trust, and only given an eight-month concurrent sentence to the year that he was serving. And we also learned that Mike Frost was the only investigator assigned to Kevin and Don's murders during his time, and he would eventually be found guilty of illegal use of communications and distribution of a controlled substance, and he would be sentenced to one year in jail. And he also denied that there was witnesses on the tracks, don't forget, in which we know better. So honestly, the question has to be asked again, how much investigation were these guys actually doing into Kevin and Don's murders? like they say they were. Because it looks to me like they were pretty busy running their office, like a criminal enterprise. Kind of like Dan Harmon or Jay Campbell did before them. Anyways, let's meet the next sheriff, or rather interim sheriff, Cleve Barfield. We can see that Barfield was selected by the Saline County Quorum Corps as interim Saline County Sheriff by a unanimous vote of 13 to nothing. Barfield said coming out of retirement after 39 years in law enforcement was an easy choice for him because he saw the need. Now I didn't find too much on him, which is understandable, being interim sheriff and only for roughly a year at that. But I did come across this where two of his deputies had to fight to clear their names and said they were wrongfully fired. Interim Sheriff Cleve Barfield fired narcotics detectives Kevin Cooper and Robert Burnett. And we'll come back to Cleve Barfield in a couple of minutes. But down below we see Saline Prosecutor Ken Cassidy involved in this as well, directing a letter to the two officers that states, Your activity and case files submitted for prosecution are woefully inadequate for this time period. And to get a better understanding of who Ken Cassidy is, and how he relates to the overall case with Kevin and Don, 
We can have a listen to this interview with Linda Ives, Kevin's mother, interviewed by KARN's Doc Washburn on July 15, 2016, talking about Linda's experience in meeting Ken Cassidy. Ms. Ives, you, you have a retired homicide detective who helped you for a number of years go through boxes of case files and evidence. Yes. And I met with you guys a few months back and y'all showed me a piece of paper which just blew my mind. And I've showed it to some attorneys. I've showed it to attorneys very familiar with their case. I showed it to attorney who's not familiar with the case. Either way, they looked at it and they're like, this is a murder confession. This woman, Charlene Wilson, they said, she's putting herself at the scene of the murder and, and, and confessing that she participated. And she puts Dan Harmon, then prosecuting attorney of Saline County, and four other people at the scene of the murder. And she and Harmon are the only ones still alive. The others were murdered within a year of the murder of your son and his friend, Don Henry. And there's so many details. Um, and, and the details, of course, to people who are familiar with the case, line up exactly with everything else that everybody else knows about the murder scene. Make this look like an airtight murder confession. Now, I want you to tell my listeners what happened when you took what certainly looks like a murder confession as much as anything I've ever seen in my life to Saline County prosecuting attorney Ken Cassidy, you and your husband and the retired homicide detective go to meet the Saline County prosecuting attorney. What was his response? Well, um, we were disrespected. Uh, he took one look at the paper that we handed him and said, I'm not doing anything with this. And I said, well, could you at least read it? And he said, no, I'm not going to do anything with it. And he, he literally sneered and laughed at us. And when uh, the detective started explaining probable cause yeah. in the case and what he suspected, you know, was supportive of probable cause, yeah. um, Ken Cassidy just looked at him and laughed. And he said, I don't think you know anything about probable cause. Probable cause is a call that this detective made every day in his job in Little Rock. For many years. Uh, he made a homicide detective. The prosecutor never even looked at the case before he decided whether or not there was probable cause to arrest. And, you know, he was very frustrated and I was very insulted because, I mean, I'm used to being insulted by King Cassidy and every other elected official of this county, but... For many would, years? Yes, for many years. 29 years, to be exact. And um, I was so insulted that he was uh, so rude and disrespectful of this detective, who is very well respected. Well, Ken Cassidy, prosecuting attorney, Saline County, doesn't think the detective knows anything about probable cause. I don't think uh, Mr. Cassidy knows anything about integrity. We'll be hearing from Ken Cassidy shortly, but going back to his buddy and sheriff, Cleve Barfield, and the two deputies he fired, Kevin Cooper and Robert Burnett. We see that Cooper had been with the department for 14 years, and Burnett around eight. And Cooper, who was on desk duty after having reconstructive surgery, was setting up an undercover coke bust. He said that would have reaped about $3 million in drugs. But Sheriff Barfield denied Cooper permission to serve a narcotic search warrant, Cooper said, adding that he never got a reason. Burnett, Cooper's partner, said he couldn't work drug cases on his own while his partner was on medical leave. He tried to go back into a drug task force 
and Barfield backed that, but the prosecutor, who would be Ken Cassidy, stopped it. And below we see Cooper asking, is there political motivation for this termination? My answer is yes, and after everything we've seen so far, it's hard to argue with him on that point. After the meeting, Cooper said he believed he was fired after Cassidy, the salient prosecutor, who he said backed another candidate, learned Cooper was running for sheriff, and that would be the same sheriff position occupied by then interim sheriff Cleve Barfield. We know that Kevin Cooper didn't win that election, but wait till you see who did. So like I said, there's not that much to be found on Barfield, but overall we see that he was the interim sheriff replacing Bruce Pennington, and he fired two deputies that were working on a multi-million dollar drug case, and gave no reason why. And he seemed to work well with Ken Cassidy, which that in itself speaks volumes in my opinion. And I think I'm pretty safe in saying that he didn't lift a finger to further the open investigation into Kevin and Don's murders while he was in office. So, this makes up the list of the past sheriffs in Saline County since Kevin and Don's murders. And I gotta say, it's not very impressive. So let's meet the current Saline County Sheriff, Rodney Wright, who took over in 2015. And I'll let Doc Washburn and Prosecutor Ken Cassidy better explain just exactly who Rodney Wright is. Because we have a caller on News Radio 1029 KRN's Newsmaker Line, Ken Cassidy, Prosecuting Attorney of Saline County. Mr. Cassidy, welcome to the Doc Washburn Show. I guess you've heard what uh, Linda Ives has been saying about what certainly appears to us to be a murder confession from Charlene Wilson. We'd like to get your side of the story. Well, uh, Mr. Washburn, thanks, thanks for having me on. I, I have gotten numerous calls that, uh, yeah, that y'all have been talking about uh, uh, the case uh, of, on Friday and, and today. You know, I, I can't comment a lot on what will, is still an ongoing criminal investigation, but, but when, you're t when you're talking about the meeting that uh, me and Miss Ives had, uh, along with my chief deputy and, and, and a couple other folks, uh, you know, I thought the meeting was, was pretty constructive. She had a, uh, a lead that I think was part, it was my impression from her, was part of the case file uh, from a long time ago wanted this person reinvestigated and re-talked to, I said, you know, yes, that is a good, you know, we'll, we will do that. I will get you in touch with law enforcement. I got her in touch with the head of the detectives of the Sling County Sheriff's Office at the time. So that meeting with Linda Ives, according to Ken Cassidy, was constructive. But more importantly, he told Linda Ives to take the confession letter to the Saline County Sheriff's Office. That's these people. Currently run by this guy, who according to Ken Cassidy, is quote, running the competent sheriff's office. And I think, I think Sheriff Wright is running a competent sheriff's office. Now what progress they have made in this case, you know, I don't get updates on everything they do on a cold case. Okay, well, yeah. what, what Ms. Ives and the retired homicide detective both told me is that you refused to even read the statement, told them you weren't gonna do anything with it, told the retired homicide detective he didn't know the first thing about probable cause, and told them to go to talk to the sheriff, who, by the well, way, is the nephew of, yeah, of one of the people, you know, being accused yeah, of- Sure, sure, yeah, I understand. Rodney has that burden. Rodney's uncle is a criminal, and, and one of the most infamous criminals in Saline County history. And exactly who is Rodney Wright's uncle? described as one of the most notorious criminals in Saline County history? 
Well, that would be Dan Harmon. That's right. As unbelievable as it sounds, Sheriff Rodney Wright's uncle is Dan Harmon. The same Dan Harmon that's been named by three witnesses as being with the boys on the tracks on the night they were murdered, and is featured all throughout Charlene Wilson's confession letter as well. So how much investigation do you think is actually being done by Rodney Wright? Perhaps as much as all his predecessors? That's quite the history we've had a look at. And Sheriff Rodney Wright has had three years to investigate, and has known about Charlene Wilson's confession letter for almost two years at least. And yet, they've done nothing. All those sheriffs haven't been able to solve the case. Or have they even tried? It's a legit question. And we've only really looked at the sheriffs. There's a whole host of officials at various levels that have been involved in this case in some form or another, including prosecutors like Rodney Wright's uncle, Dan Harmon, and his partner, Prosecutor Richard Garrett. And we've heard from Prosecutor Ken Cassidy, so you can make up your mind where he fits in and also involved in the case in some form or another are judges, state medical personnel, U.S. attorneys, and a whole host of other law enforcement officials, as well as a whole lot more after that. But all these people haven't been able to figure out that Dan Harmon is somehow involved in the murders of Kevin Ives and Don Henry. The same Dan Harmon that Prosecutor Ken Cassidy once called one of the most infamous criminals in Sling County history. And don't forget that four of these people have been implicated as being directly involved in the murders of Kevin and Don. I'm going to close out with the clip from the interview with Mike Frost, where he talks about the possibility of a cover-up, and we'll have a look at that. On top of speculation are claims of a government cover-up. No, there has not been. As long as I've been with the sheriff's office, I have been in a criminal investigation visit. Well, you'll excuse me if I don't take Mike Frost's word for it. And let's have a look at what the documents say. And according to this FBI document from March 11, 1994, early on in their investigation, they state that the captioned victims, who are Kevin and Don, are believed to have witnessed a drug deal involving prominent individuals of Saline County. And then three months later, on June 3, 1994, with the FBI getting deeper into their investigation, we see that they say, however, Further investigation has revealed that the two teenage boys were killed prior to being placed on the tracks, and that the placing of the bodies on the tracks was a cover-up. So the FBI at this point has acknowledged that there's a cover-up involved. And they go on to say, this alleged cover-up supposedly involves law enforcement and political officials. And then we see by October 6, 1994, the FBI says, it is very apparent that a well-orchestrated conspiracy surrounds captioned case, and the captioned case, of course, pertains to Kevin Ives and Don Henry. Then we see by February 2nd, 1995, that the FBI says, investigation at this point in time reveals that a cover-up in the investigation exists with law enforcement involvement as well as with, and the rest is redacted. And then by May 12th, 1995, the FBI states, Investigation into this matter has indicated that there is a likelihood of police involvement in the cover-up. So like I say, with all things considered, I'm not buying what Mike Frost is selling when it comes to the topic of cover-up. And there is a likelihood of police involvement in the cover-up? You think? And before we go, here's the latest update on what's going on. There's a new lieutenant sheriff in town, and his name is Jeffrey Silk. 
who is now running the patrol division. And they have his full bio on the Saline County Sheriff's website, as well as a PDF you can download on his background. And reading from his profile online when he was at Baker Botts, we see something interesting in that a few years of his time at the DEA crossed over when Asa Hutchinson was the head of the DEA. And again, if you've seen parts one and two of this series, you'll know why that connection might raise some eyebrows. Anyways, looking at Lieutenant Jeff Silk's overall background, he seems like he's sort of a super cop. And one wonders, with all his experience all over the world for the DEA, how did he end up in little old Saline County? I'm reminded of the movie Hot Fuzz, where super cop Nicholas Angel ends up working in a small countryside town that is run by corrupt politicians and law enforcement. And ultimately, Nicholas Angel kicks ass. Now, if you have been following the case, you'll know that recently, former WWF superstar Billy Jack Haynes has came forward, saying he was at the tracks the night of the murders. And after all these years, the Saline County Sheriff's Office seemed to be interested in the investigation again, through the efforts of Lieutenant Jeff Silk, who contacted an investigator and former detective Keith Ronsoval about Billy Jack Haynes. And you can hear the full version here on YouTube, but I'll just play a short clip from it. This is Keith. Hello? Hey partner, it's Jeff Silk. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. Well, I'm glad we finally got a chance to, to talk. That's good news. Um uh to let you know I'm a I'm a lieutenant here in Sweet County. I don't I don't think what I've ever met, but um I'm not from here. I uh I was retired to the agent. I retired from DJ 23 years on, and then I was a, I was a cop before that in Baltimore for a number of years. But anyhow, that's a little bit of my background. But I, I came here to uh, Arkansas like three years ago, and Sheriff Wright interviewed me, asked me about this, coming here. And uh, Jake and Patrick, who's the chief deputy here, he and I have known each other for forever. And uh, he was the chief deputy. So I said, yeah, I'd be happy to. So that's uh, just in a nutshell. That's just why here and I I've been speaking to Miss Eyes um, recently and today I had a meeting with, with both Miss Eyes as well as uh, Mr. Lewis to kind of talk about the way forward and it seems like you're like kind of like the rich man that can make everything happen um, so with this new witness obviously that's uh, that's something that we would be um we would want to uh, to kind of drill down a little bit and see, you know, what what he's all about and, uh, and we can interview him. But I wanted to call the time to talk to you to see if that's even possible. Well, uh, let me share some uh, of my thoughts with you. You know, I'm not trying to disparage you or, or the chief deputy. I don't know either one of you. I, I, you know, I know very little about your past, but um, I you know, there's a long history with the Saline County Sheriff's Office. And there's a history between your sheriff and two of the people named as suspects in this uh, double murder. Are you aware of that? Um, Keith, I'm probably aware of more than, more than you think. Well, I mean, you're not going to answer the question? On who I've spoken to. But anyhow, go ahead. All right. 
Well, he, there, the sheriff is the nephew of one of those named, and also a good friend with another one that's named. At any rate, that conversation didn't go over too well, and when you consider the history of it all, it's understandable. And it remains to be seen whether Lieutenant Jeffrey Silk is going to be like Nicholas Angel and clean house, or if he'll just end up being another one of the gang.